So welcome to Jubilee. Thanks for coming. Uh, if you're a visitor with us this morning, um, over the last few months, uh, we've been looking at the real Jesus as documented in the uh, Gospel of Mark. Radical encounters, thrilling encounters uh, that people had with Jesus. Always challenging, always loving, often controversial. That's why I love this book. Do you love it? Do you love it? And this morning actually is no different, but before we get um, there, just a few words of introduction before we read the um, scripture that we've got this morning. Just a few words of introduction. So Jesus has been doing over the last few years, three years, three-year period, what only Jesus does, wonderful miracles, fantastic teaching, great displays of compassion and, and care, unlike anything else, inspiring Role modeling, just breathtaking. Thousands, hundreds and thousands of people choose to follow this Jesus. But unfortunately, by doing this, he's threatening the power grip of the religious people of the day. In fact, quite a few of the encounters that we see with Jesus are exactly, um, are exactly with people like the Pharisees and the scribes who are being rocked by Jesus, men of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. But time after time, uh, through, Jesus, through, through those encounters, Jesus is always teaching them too. He's triumphing over their traps. He shows them how the kingdom of God is unlike anything else, radical. So after numerous failed attempts, we heard of one last week. Was it last week, Neil? Yeah. Neil, you were excellent last week. Well done. Um, there's a real anointing on you, a real sense of authority of God on you. Um, so thank you so much for that. But that was one of the failed attempts by the Pharisees. Uh, um, and so therefore now what we get this morning is in come the heavy boys of the Sanhedrin. The hard-hearted, the steel-souled, well-to-do high priests, the Sadducees, who are going to show their ignorant cronies, the Pharisees, how it's done. In come. Stand back. Now one of the fundamental differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees that's important to know this morning, is that unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees didn't, didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife, a better life, a renewed life. And so that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> Who says I can't tell jokes? <laughs> Sorry, actually, Dennis... Dennis told us that, told me that in, um, in one of our community groups a few months ago. And so we come to Mark 12, 18, where they try and get at Jesus through this doctrinal issue, very important issue of resurrection. And obviously Jesus does believe in the resurrection, doesn't he? In fact, he says something phenomenal. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though he may die. And so this jubilee is the battleground for the Sadducees this morning. And so they pose him a riddle, a hypothetical, very gross actually, scenario, trying to make the whole idea uh, of the resurrection and therefore him, Jesus, God in every way, 
a whole load of rubbish. In fact, we live in a world, don't we, that that happens all the time. So let's read what we've got this morning. Mark 12, 18 to 27. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, Jesus, with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. Question. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. Hands up. No. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses and the account of the burning bush how God said to them, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You, Sadducees, are badly mistaken. Let's pray. Yeah, I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, that you are a wonderful God. I thank you that you are a powerful God. I thank you so much this morning that we could uh, rise to you in worship, that we could um, lift our hands, praise you, that you spoke to us this morning, that you are a God who loves us and has great plans for us. And I pray this morning, as we um, look to you, as we look to your word, as we receive your Holy Spirit, as we uh, receive your power, I pray, Spirit of God, that you will launch us, launch us into everything you have. I pray, Lord God, be the great teacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's the Sadducees' argument here? Well, the Jews had a custom uh, going back to a long time ago. It's written in Deuteronomy 25, 5 actually, called Leverite Marriage. And it says this in Deuteronomy 25. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted from Israel. It was a way, you see, of preserving the family line. And so given this principle, which probably very few people would have followed actually in Jesus' time, they pose this deliberately odd hypothetical scenario to trip him up. Now, their argument is really quite grotesque, uh, disgusting, actually, if um, we don't quite get this when we read it. They're saying, look, Jesus, if resurrection is real, if heaven is real, if there's an eternal life beyond this one, then the choices are three. Three. Pick one. Either this woman who married seven brothers and had sexual relationship with them them in marriage 
in heaven, would they be living an eternal life of gross, polyincestuous sin, horrid? Is that what your heaven looks like, Jesus? One. Or alternatively, in heaven, when all the dead brothers rise again, whose wife should she be? Eeny, meeny, miny, more, eeny, meeny, miny, more. Ridiculous. Or the other answer, the answer that they wanted Jesus to admit, is the whole idea of resurrection and heaven is absolutely absurd. And so therefore, his claims about himself, Jesus, are absolutely absurd too. Game over. But little did they know, these guys, the heavies, little did they know they were talking to the supreme mind of the cosmos. Come as Jesus, a man. And so Jesus actually, as you'd expect, is very clever in his response. He takes them actually to the only bit of the Bible they believe in, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't think much of the rest. He takes them to a passage actually that many will have learnt off by heart. The account of Moses and the burning bush, you'll remember it, particularly if you've watched Prince of Egypt. And here in Exodus 3.6, it says that uh, God reveals himself, if you remember, to Moses in a burning bush. And then he says this, he declares who he is and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Notice, notice, and you really get this in the Hebrew, but notice he doesn't say, I was the father of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob but not anymore, because they're dead now. No resurrection, no heaven. Rather, he says, I am their God right now, because I'm not the God of the dead, I'm the God of the living. In other words, these guys, these important men of the Bible that God rested their promises on and with are alive in the heavenly realms, a world beyond the one we can just see with our physical eyes. Wow. You see, Jesus is pointing them to a greater understanding of heaven. Not just some dim and distant, maybe fingers crossed possibility, but rather a sure certainty beyond imagination, hope of a wonderful, eternal closeness and intimacy with God Above and beyond, actually, any of the strongest relationships, like marriage. A life of unbroken relationship with him and his people forever. That's what Jesus is getting at in this argument. And do you know what? They were gobsmacked. In fact, in Luke's account of this event, it's in, it's in, I think it's in all the Gospels. It might not be in John, I can't remember now. Some of the teachers, this is, what the, this, is what the, this is what it says in Luke's account, some of the teachers, after hearing this argument, uh, some of the teachers of the law, that's them, said, well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. Funny. And so this week I'm going to be talking about heaven. This morning I'm going to be talking about heaven. If you remember in May, I spoke about hell. Well, it's the opposite this week, heaven. Clouds. No, no, not clouds. A lot of people today say they don't believe in heaven, don't they? 
But I'm actually not so sure. As a GP, uh, as a GP, what always gets me, especially when people are nearing the end of their life or you're talking to uh, the relatives of uh, someone who they've lost, almost all of them, all of them, talk of a kind of heaven. C.S. Lewis, uh, the writer of the Narnia books, wrote this, Heaven is the remote music that we are born remembering. I love that. And so really what I want to do this morning is stir something about the reality and wonder of the Christian understanding in heaven, but not just in some kind of analytical, academic way, but rather just like I hopefully did with hell, the doctrine of hell really, in a way that shapes us now. You see, heaven, get this, you see, heaven, if if properly understood, increasingly should change everything now. Really. It should change our bank balances, our giving, how we use our time, what we say, how we operate at work, opening our homes to people. Heaven, if properly understood, makes you live differently now, think differently now, talk differently now. And so really, I have three headings this morning. Not points, headings. It's different. Firstly, understanding heaven gives us a reason to live well now. Secondly, understanding gives us a, gives us a strength and an endurance, a perseverance to live well now. And understanding heaven gives us the power a divine spiritual power to live well. Now, we've been singing and talking a lot about that this morning. How so? Well, here we go. Firstly, understanding heaven gives us reason to live well now. A lot of people today would argue, actually, uh, the exact opposite to that. They would say that a belief in heaven, if you have a belief in this dim and distant heaven, It takes all the motivation and action away from doing good here and now. That's what a lot of people say. The American uh, poet and writer Oliver Wendell Holmes phrases it well when he says, they are so heavenly minded over there that they are of no earthly good over here. John Lennon famously wrote an anthem song for our culture. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Imagine all the people living for today. woo <laughs> What's he getting at? What's Mr. Lennon getting at? Well, he's saying this. If we live today, if we live for today, if we know that today, the here and now is all that we have, then we're going to live it well, aren't we? Because there is no second chance. This is it. If we think like that, of course we're going to take care of each other. Of course we're going to make uh, this place a good place, a good planet, a good today, surely. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? But to that, to John Lennon, to our culture today, quite controversially actually, the Bible says, no. So what is heaven? As Christians, what do we understand about heaven? Wayne Grudem, uh, who some of us met in a Brighton conference one year, 
quite a number of years ago now. He's a Bible teacher. He says this, heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Heaven is the environment, Jubilee, of God's glory. A place where we have perfect union and relationship with God. The Bible teaches us, actually, that one day when Jesus returns, he's going to make all things new. Physical creation will be renewed. There'll be a new earth and a new heaven. Glorious. What's fascinating about the Bible is that it doesn't describe us all escaping from this world. Therefore, this world doesn't matter. You've just got to put up with it for a few years. No, no, no. The Bible says heaven comes down to earth with renewal, with with restoration of this world. No more sin, no more evil anymore, where every tear will be wiped away. Uh, No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That's what the Bible says, says, not just escaping, And knowing that is so important. Why? Because it's exactly that that gives you the passion, the zeal, the urgency to get out there and do God's will now, doesn't it? Knowing that you're working in the plans and purposes of God now. Working for poverty, working for injustice, for suffering, being messengers of the gospel, Uh, in the workplace, at your uni, at school, in your street, in this world, right now. This is God's world, and in Jesus, heaven puts, puts it increasingly back together. Jubilee, a question, do you believe, do you have that eternity in your spirit? Do you have that eternity in your spirit? Do you have that hope of heaven in your soul now? Because the measure of that is your life, your time, your giving, what you do now, how you live, how you think. What does it look like? Do you believe it? Very important. Uh, Sociologist Rodney Stark uh, wrote a famous book in the 1990s, which I haven't read, I've only read summaries of it actually, The Rise of Christianity. Uh, where he objectively examines the phenomenal growth of Christianity from a small movement in Galilee and Judea at the time of Jesus to the majority religion of the Roman Empire just a few centuries later. And basically in this book he asks, how come, why? And in it he talks of two plagues. Um, which hit the Roman Empire in the early centuries, which were wiping out hundreds and thousands of people. Terrible. At at, at its height, I think 35,000 people were dying a week. And at the time, he says, the pagan Greeks, the Romans, they didn't know what to do. They didn't have a cure. In fact, they knew that being in contact with uh, these sufferers meant that they'd be at risk of getting it too. So what did they do? The pagan guys, the Greeks, the Romans, they fled. The rich, the well-to-do, and get this, the doctors got out of there. Quick. But not the Christians. They stayed. 
And not only did they care for their own sake, they actually cared for others too, the Greeks and the Romans. And as a result, actually, many of them died. Not because they were caring for them, the people who were... The people who were caring for them died. So how come, Rodney Starks asks, how come they stayed? Why? And actually, he comes to the conclusion, um, talking about one particular doctor, Galen, one of the famous pagan doctors of the time who fled. He says, he said this, Galen lacked life, uh, Galen lacked belief in life beyond death. The Christians were certain of this life, uh, that this life was just a prelude. For Galen to have remained in Rome to treat the afflicted would have required bravery far beyond that needed by the Christians to do likewise. (laughs) To flee was the rational response of the pagans. To stay was the rational response of Christians. Do you get that? What's he saying? He's, he's saying it isn't that the, he's not, he's not saying that the Christians were more courageous and mighty than the pagans. There might have been. No, he's not saying that. There was, he was, he's saying that they were just being rational. The gospel gave them a rational reason to stay. They were shaped by what the Bible said. They listened to it. The reality of it. And that's why Jesus so strongly rebukes the Sadducees in our passage today. Are you not in error, he says, because you do not know the Scriptures. They don't move you. They don't shape you. You've, uh, you have not read the book of Moses, the account of the burning bush. That's what Jesus has a go at the Sadducees about. You see, that was their worldview, but they didn't understand it. As Paul said, they didn't listen. They were not transformed by it. They, were, they weren't living in the reality of it, which ultimately meant they didn't really believe it. Do you believe? Do you believe it? Do you see? Do you have that hope of heaven coming down? Because bottom line, if we're like John Lennon, imagine there's no heaven, living for today, none of what we do makes sense. Hiring an enormous building like this to teach and worship God, uh, to teach and worship, teach about God and worship God together. Gathering the nations into the church, facing persecution. Some of you have done that in the name of Jesus. Putting on alphas all over the place, partnering with Tanzania, Canada, Turkey, Ghana, sending out a great big truck to help further the kingdom of God. Going out, uh, going to two days a week which is proving to be a great battle. Without heaven, none of it makes sense. If John Lennon's right, what we feel God has called us to as a family is actually ludicrous, stupid. But because of heaven, because of eternity, because of hope beyond the grave, because of the bigger picture, it totally makes sense. And I believe the uncertainty that we're now facing is part of what we call faith jubilee. This is our Christian understanding of faith. This has been going around my head a lot recently. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't yet see. Keep praying jubilee for us as a family. And as us as an eldership team, as us as a church. And meanwhile, you know what? We'll keep leading the church. 
We have a good eldership team. We have an excellent eldership team. We have good godly leaders. We have many people who serve and give their time faithfully, generously, willingly. Thank you. I love Jubilee. I don't think it will be long now. Increasingly, actually, we're seeing God moving. Understanding heaven gives us reason to live well, to step out in faith, faithfully, diligently, totally focused, even in the midst of uncertainty, actually especially in the midst of uncertainty. Now. Secondly, understanding heaven gives us strength to live well. Heaven Jubilee gives you strength. Understanding heaven properly gives you strength. The writer of the book of James, who along with many other uh, Christians and apostles, was executed for believing in Jesus. And this uh, James wrote wrote this quite shockingly, I think. He says this in James 1. We we, We covered it when we went through James, actually. He says this, Consider it pure joy, joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's the deal as a believer, isn't it? We will face trials and sufferings and uncertainty and difficulties and hurdles of many kinds. If you've recently been on Alpha, that's what you've got to look forward to. Welcome. I didn't tell you that. I didn't tell you that, did I? The Bible does. The Apostle Paul, one of the main contributors to the Bible, talked about it a lot. He too was actually slaughtered for his faith. He says, it to, he says to the church at Philippi, Philippians 1, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Jesus, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Even Jesus does it, Luke 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, my close, close follower, must deny themselves and take up the cross. A horrific execution tool daily and follow me. Quite a number of years ago now, I felt God say he would be sending more and more people from here, actually, um, to, back to these difficult places, these difficult countries. You remember Patrick... You remember uh, Morris. You remember uh, Morris who went back to Liberia. You remember Justice. Wonderful men of faith. Across Christ Central Churches and the wider New Frontiers family, people are living cutting-edge kingdom lives already in these difficult places. Pray for the strength of heaven in their lives. The strength of Jesus in their lives. Pray for Andy and Jill. Pray for Mikhail and Heike. Pray for Helmut and his family. Pray for them. What's going on in Iraq, as Paul said at the moment, is terrible. I remember during the prayer week, uh, reading one of the magazines there about the persecuted church and just praying through those countries, one by one, as tears welled up as I was sitting there. Pray big prayers, Jubilee. Let your prayer life go beyond just you and your immediate vicinity. See the world at large. See God in the world at large. It's good to do that. And to that, to all this suffering and 
persecution and difficulties, James, in James 1, almost offensively says, doesn't he? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Pure joy. What on earth is he saying? Give me more? Give me more lashings and beatings. Come on. More floggings. I can take it. Come on. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not. He's not saying that. He's taking us to an altogether different joy. He's saying stop for the moment, for a moment, and consider, think, reason out the suffering that you're experiencing from a bigger viewpoint, from God's viewpoint, taking into account of the very wisdom, the word, the promises of God, heaven. That's why he says consider it pure joy. Because when you do that, that's what happens in your soul. Joy does rise. It's not positive thinking, but it's letting truth captivate your heart and mind because the word of God is breathed by him. It's powerful. It's real. In fact, James, as he writes that, is actually writing an altogether different song from John Lennon's, isn't it? His song is, imagine there is a heaven. Imagine there's a, um, a living hope. Imagine with absolute confidence the uh, ever-increasing glory and splendor of Jesus filling the whole earth, making all the sad things come untrue, as it says in our kids' Bible. Imagine a new kingdom rooted in God. Consider it pure joy, because that's what it is. Do you see? And as you do that, says James, as you go through trials, as you suffer for Christ, as you recognize the grace and strength of God in your life, it brings about fortitude, endurance, perseverance, and dare I say it because he does, joy. A joy rooted in God. Do you believe, for you guys who've come from other nations, God wants this joy for you. Also, for you guys who are living with long-term illness and anxiety, God wants you to receive this joy this morning. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, They who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls, and the pearl of greatest price is the glory of Jesus going on forever and ever and ever and ever. Do you have this perspective? Imagine there's a heaven. It's easy if you read the Bible. Understanding heaven gives us reason to live well now. Understanding heaven gives us strength to live well, finally. And we've been singing a lot about this morning. In fact, most of the morning was my preach, which is encouraging. Finally, understanding heaven gives us power to live well now, doesn't it? Jesus rebukes the Sadducees for not just being ignorant of the word of God, uh, what the scriptures says. He says, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? The power. If you're not, um, if not, if you're not, if you're not Christian here this morning, did you feel the power of God this morning? 
as we prayed, as we sang in tongues, as Helen brought words from God and shared them with us. Did you feel the power? I've really enjoyed Paul's last couple of sermons. I listened to I wasn't here for one, so I listened to one in the car the other day. There's been a real anointing as he's exhorted us to believe the Bible for the seemingly impossible. To walk in authority and faith and power. I love that moment. God's power. <laughs> We're not just followers of a manual jubilee. A set of do-its to make a difference. Step one, boom, boom, boom. Step two, boom, boom, boom. Job done. That isn't the Christian life. As Paul said the other week, we are the temple of God. God tabernacles with us. We are the place where God dwells. We are people who walk by the Spirit. God didn't leave us some 2,000 plus years ago. And no, he promised us, Jesus promised us greater things, didn't he? Jesus said in John 14, I will not leave any of you as orphans. I will come to you. Before I was with just a few of you, but now I'll send the Spirit of myself, God the Holy Spirit, me in every way so that I can be with everyone, everywhere, every time. That's the wonder of what we believe. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, said this, your kingdom come down, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What was Jesus doing? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was commanding us to pray down heaven. That's what it was about. When I go to Canada, when I go to Canada, when I go to Portugal, uh, when I last visited India a few years ago, I'm always amazed that whichever McDonald's I go to frequently, Paul Cattrall will like this analogy because uh, he's always there now. Uh, I think I've converted him. No, no. Whichever McDonald's I go to around the world, it looks exactly like the same one in Corby Newham. Freaky. The menus, the design, uh, the seats, the lighting, all the same. That's what happens when you own a franchise like McDonald's. Everything looks like the main one, the flagship restaurant. Bill Johnson, leader of Bethel, says this, when we pray his kingdom come, we are asking him, God, to superimpose, just like McDonald's, but much bigger, the rules, order, and benefits of his world over this one, until this one looks like his. Whoa! That's what happens when the sick are healed or the demonized are set free, or the poor are lifted, on, on high, or are lifted high, or the hopeless are brought into joy, or a hand goes up at Alpha saying yes to Jesus, or a direct debit comes out and into the church. Do you pray down heaven, Jubilee? Is that what your prayer looks like? That is the great authority, power, and trust we have in our Father in heaven. Holy Father. God, very surprisingly, seems to give himself a self-imposed restriction to act in the affairs of man in response to prayer. Why would he do that? Phenomenal. 
tell you why, because we're warriors for him. We're his ambassadors, as Helen said. Jubilee, this is the great drama of our lives with God that is unfolding before our very eyes. God is asking us to enter into this drama as we pray down heaven, as we pray down the kingdom of God on this earth, in your workplace, at school, college, uni, in your street, in your home, in your marriage, in your community group, your family, in other nations. And as we do so, Jubilee, as we pray down the power of heaven into these situations, we are making history with God. Nothing less. The prayer week is over, but you know what? Those prayers have just begun. When Jesh wrote down on the chalkboard, if you can see that, uh, he wrote down on the chalkboard that week, pray, Lord, that Sean stays in this country, amen. And Sean gets his letter a few days later, after only just a few weeks in the application process. What happens? Jesh and Jemima want to pray more. We've prayed for Tanzania, we've prayed for Iran, we've prayed for their school, we've prayed for our house to sell, we've prayed for their friends, we've prayed for Abbas, Mona, Sarush, Marvash, for Jonathan Backhouse, for Pauline, for Jeremy and Anne, for Sparklers, for Open Door. They've prayed. Why? Because they are getting a sense that the more they pray, the more heaven is released, and the more they will see exciting things happen. Hmm. For those of you at the family meeting, you'll know we have wonderful things planned for this year. We've budgeted in faith 40k for this year of promised land dreaming, money we don't have yet. We 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 often do that actually. God always seems to come through. We call it our faith gap. He's good like that. That includes the training of guys and girls in various settings. FP, leadership training, Word Plus, uh, tra- uh, in-house training conferences. It includes releasing Paul, uh, includes, includes, includes uh, releasing Paul and Simon and Paul Cattrall uh, and others into using our premises and facilities to serve our communities more and more through things like sparklers and open door and work clubs and all the other stuff that goes on there. You'll be surprised. Well done, guys. We want more and more people involved. It includes going to the nations with teams of people equipping those churches and building bridges and sending people and introducing you to some of them from over there. It includes looking at how we can increasingly have a kingdom presence in Teesside, asking God to unblock more and more of the prophetic wells, you know them. Creativity, younger people, a a growing resource base, signs and wonders, 40K. And as elders, we feel God wants us to call all of you, all of us, to a gift day in October. Exciting giving, faith-filled giving, generous, sacrificial giving to our generous, sacrificial God. October gift day. And really, for the moment, that's all I'm going to say about it. I just wanted to give you the heads up. Start praying about it, will you? What part will God call you to play 
in this journey. You see, Jesus always thrills us into generous, faith-filled giving, doesn't he? He talks about money and generosity a lot, as Neil told us the other week. Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store, your, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's totally not what the world thinks. Jubilee, God is on the move. The canopy of grace is extending. The net is being thrown wider. Wells are shooting up fountains of living water. The promised land is increasingly visible. We're moving up to sixth gear now. God is sending out baskets and baskets full of bread and fish to the broken and the needy and the hurting. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jubilee, will you play your part as you've done so far faithfully over the years in this together God-given adventure right now? The one who gave everything to us, Jesus, is calling us to give everything we have to him. And I'm not just talking about money. Let's make a difference, Jubilee. Jesus is building his church. Heaven, Jubilee, gives you a reason strength and power. Let's live it out. Let's pray it down. Are you with us? Let's stand. The band could come up. That would be great. I thought I'd be talking a lot longer than that. That's all right then. <laughs> oh, you're upset. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I pray, Lord God, that you will release heaven, heaven's riches, heaven's glory, heaven's resources, heaven's power on this church. I pray, Lord God, that you will release your spirit on men, women, children, students across this whole church. I pray, Lord God, for heaven to be released across all the churches in Teesside, all the churches in this nation, all the churches in the nations around. I pray, Lord God, as Paul goes to Tanzania, heaven goes to Paul and Jean and Jonathan and Angela. I pray, Lord God, as you go to your workplaces, your, the different settings that people go with you, heaven goes too. I pray, Lord God, in, for those mountains that, are, that need to move. I pray, Lord God, heaven moves those mountains. Spirit of God, we want to be faithful to you. Jesus, we want to look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith. So come, Spirit of God, touch us right now. Just uh, stretch out your hands to him. Just ask him to fill you. Just ask him to come upon you right now. Just before we sing, Spirit of God, come. Spirit of God, you know our hearts cry. You know our dream. 
You know those things that we were crying out to you. Spirit of God, come. And as we leave here, let not this just be an emotional response. I pray, Lord God, for the power of God to be released in those situations. I pray for asylum claims this week, Lord God. The power of God in those situations. I pray for those looking for work. The power of God be released into those situations to bring your glory to you. I pray for illness, long-standing illness, to go in Jesus' name. I pray for those who have been with with Jubilee for many years. I I pray, Spirit of God, that you put in them something that carries us as they meet with others, as their friendship, as their prayer. I pray, Lord God, there's a real fathering, a real mothering of men and women across this church to different generations. I pray, Lord God, for breakdown in cultural divides and greater integration. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Spirit of God, on this church. I pray for our eldership team, Lord God, I pray we rise to the responsibility and the calling that you brought us to this point in. I pray for our community groups more and more to have an influence. I pray for safe families. Open door. Come, Spirit of God, hope. Come, Spirit of God. Power in Jesus' name. Let's worship. Let's worship.